You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. Hello, David. Hello, Will. And hello, listeners. Welcome to the first episode of our new silver screen science series, Kaijun. Kaijun. What a clever name. It's a good name. Quite proud of that one. Well done, David. Thanks. This is our next bout of silver screen science. For those of you who remember the time we did it last time or the time we did a series last time was the Jurassic Park movies. Last June. Now we are taking it a different direction. In this series, we will be discussing a selection of giant monster movies, particularly focusing on the two most famous, King Kong and Godzilla. Lots of cool science and paleo stuff to talk about with King Kong and Godzilla. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be releasing an episode every Saturday this month, so every Saturday in June. Keep an ear out for a new episode and a new movie to be discussed. And this will finally end with us releasing an episode talking about the newest film, Godzilla King of Monsters, that will be coming out at the beginning of June, but we'll be discussing it at the end of the month. We'll be going through and reviewing the movies, but since we are not film critics, we're not going to be discussing the direction and the acting and the filmography. We're going to instead, since we are scientists, be reviewing the science of the films. Not necessarily nitpicking, because even though that can be fun, that's not necessarily the most fun. We'll be going through and discussing what is the context of this film and the topics it discusses in the broad intersection of science and pop culture. Which is just one of our favorite topics to discuss. Now, of course, we now give you the spoiler warning, because we can't discuss these movies in this degree without spoiling them. Yes, we're going to spoil every... Some of them you've had time to see. Yes, a little bit. <laughs> but some of these have been around for just a bit. But indeed, from this point on, you're, you have your spoiler warning. Our first movie of Kaijun is going to be the original King Kong. So King Kong, 1933, directed by Marianne Cooper and Ernest Shodzak, and distributed by Radio Pictures. You are probably already roughly familiar with the plot of this film. But in case you aren't, King Kong tells the story of a filmmaker, Carl Denham, who takes a ship out to the mysterious Skull Island in search of an adventure film, particularly of one mysterious creature, Kong, and discovers an island lost to time with prehistoric creatures of all sorts roaming it, dominated by one giant gorilla. Chaos ensues as they try to escape creatures, rescue the damsel from the gorilla, and then eventually bring it back to New York, where things end poorly for Kong. This this film is mainly dealing with that idea of the, the ancient world, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on for our discussion of it. Shall we put King Kong in a little bit of historical context? I think we shall. So King Kong, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this because when we did our Jurassic Park franchise, those are some classic movies, but that's all within the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. King Kong came out in 1933. It's more or less the original giant monster movie. Which is why we're starting with it for our series. And it's 
full of dinosaurs. Absolutely chock-a-block full. The earliest dinosaurs in films showed up in the beginning, very beginning of the 19-teens, 1910, 1912, depending on what year record you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And in the 19-teens, a man named Willis O'Brien became very well known for doing these awesome stop-motion dinosaurs. He did The Ghost of Slumber Mountain. He did a couple of other smaller films and eventually was the guy who did the work on The Lost World, 1925. This is the first man to depict Tyrannosaurus on screen and Triceratops on screen. And then a bunch of his work from The Lost World was built upon for the stop motion animation in King Kong. Yes, this is the the classic monster claymation that was the staple of movies back then. This is really the only way you could have a giant monster on screen without a very cheesy looking costume. And so this is like within the early foundation of prehistoric creatures on film. Even though the movie is King Kong, one of the biggest reasons we're interested in it is because all the other creatures are dinosaurs and stuff. Yes. it's It's got this historical prehistoric background to it. Even though the main focus is a just big gorilla everything surrounding it is either an ancient animal or supposed to be an ancient animal of some sort and because it was filmed in the 30s everybody talks like this yep they all talk melodramatically like radio announcers there's a wonderful clip in a a cracked youtube video i i watched many years ago where they have bloopers from old movies during that time where people mess up and go from talking like this to one other. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. That was terrible. And <laughs> they're just doing voices. That's how you talked on screen and on radio. That was just part of acting back then. So when we've done silver screen science in the past with the Jurassic franchise and with The Meg, we always started by talking about the paleontology stuff. Yes. The, the scientific topics within. And so we, we're going to follow a very similar outline to our previous silver screen science episodes. The critters, the science, the scientists, and then what kind of impact this film had. So jumping right in, the critters. We see a lot of critters in this movie. And it's as soon as they get to the island. Uh, Now, on the island, there's also a tribe of uh, people there who are segregated from the rest of the island by a massive wall. And so it's a really... I I always found that interesting with this because it's not only prehistoric creatures but there's also modern humans on the island right and and they also are that it's that juxtaposition it's not one of the caveman movies that you got so much back then but it's still doing the quote-unquote primitive peoples alongside prehistoric creatures which is a a long-standing prehistoric movie trope which for movies of this time meant uh people that resemble tribes of africa yeah it 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 very much is a movie about a bunch of white people who go to this island nation and fight with the locals and then dominate the island and then take stuff back and then exploit their journey and the people that they encountered for the entertainment of their fellow white people back home in America. There's even a moment while they're on the trip to the island where Carl Denham says something along the lines of, and it will be viewed for the first time by a white man. Yes, yes, <laughs> like, he does. Like, that's the part that matters. <laughs> so, yeah, it is a movie of its time. But once they get through the wall, 
they immediately instantaneously start running into animals and that's they're running into them non-stop and the first one they see is a stegosaur so, some kind of stegosaurus cousin it's probably supposed to be stegosaurus yeah but it's plates are weird it's plates are weird it's got very boxy plates like they're very rectangular they were two two rows that i appreciated because some older reconstructions of stegosaurus will have it in a single row down the back so they got that but it also has too many uh tail spikes i think it had eight yeah it also the rows of of plates are they're parallel they're yes, lined they up are. they're not they're not alternating like we know that now we now know they were now some of this it's funny because when we talked about jurassic park a lot of it was like they got this wrong they should have known better but some of the stuff they get wrong in this movie is because it was the 30s yeah and we didn't know things yet like for instance all the dinosaurs that we're going to mention on the island drag their tails yep. and are have bad posture. That's not them. Oh, Hollywood. It's That's how they were being reconstructed in museums. I was delighted to see that they gave the stegosaur a beak. They did. Yeah, it had a beak, which is legit. That's awesome. Absolutely. Now, it also charges them. It sure does. <laughs> For absolutely no reason. And then they blow it up with a grenade. <laughs> and it, it charges them face first. Yes, just just face on. What are you doing on my island? It's weaponry's on its tail. Mm-hmm. That's a weird thing for a stegosaur to do. And so that's one thing that you'll also notice, which is unsurprising. Every animal on this island wants humans dead in whatever means that, that takes. So that's a, a running theme. At this point, we should remind our listeners of that term we use, we always Indeed. use in Silver Screen Science. We talk a lot about monsterification. There's a lot of traits added to these dinosaurs to make them monstrous. One being unreasonable aggression. Violence and, and just... So monsterification, the two of us broadly define as when you are giving an organism an animal usually yeah a, a, a real animal like not something you made up to be a monster but an actual animal adjusted such that its actions start to make more sense in terms of a movie monster and less sense for a real life organism yeah like if real life animals acted as movie animals do they would all die off for the the times they chase their enemies off of cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> so this Stegosaurus, which is not a peaceful, like Stegosaurus would have been a dangerous large animal. Yeah, I mean, like think bison, where it's this is definitely something you wouldn't want to mess with. But it charges at these strange people. It roars like crazy. It's huge. Yeah, it's just massive. And they shoot it a whole bunch and they blow it up a couple times, I think. Yep. They throw two grenades <laughs> and <laughs> and blow it up. And it's indestructible. I don't think they ever kill it. No, they they it is it's still it's writhing when they death they're... throws while they walk by it. Now they do say, yep. which it's interesting because as they're walking by it, they're what do you call this thing? Why? Something from the dinosaur family. So like Yes. They are completely <laughs> these are dinosaurs on this island. We're never given a reason as to why there are dinosaurs on this island. No. Nope, but they're just here. A, just a place. It's just an island where they hung out. Almost instantly after that, they have to cross a lake and come across the sauropod of the lake, where, as it was well known in the 1930s, is the sole 
uh, dwelling place of sauropods. Yeah, that harkens to a lot. Like the famous Charles R. Knight paintings. Mm -hmm. There was a long time where sauropods were always depicted as swamp-dwelling, water-dwelling, in part because of this outdated notion that they that, that these animals were so big, they couldn't have supported their own bodies on land. They had to spend time in the water. You know how we've compared sauropods to being land whales before. They very much took that view of them, literally. Whales can only get so big because they're in the water. These things can only get so big because they must be in the water. Right. Now, this one flips their their raft and violently attacks them chasing them out of the water which i also found interesting because it leaves the water i i had that in my notes too uh -huh. they stuck to the tr the whole water dwelling trope is because oh they couldn't have supported themselves on land but then this thing is booking it on land too yep it's doing just fine on land and it, it literally chases them up a tree pulls one of them down from the tree and proceeds to eat them its head is huge. Its head is massive, and it's growling and snarling at them. And it's roaring and biting and attack. It's a monster again. Yes. There's nothing again. very animal-like about these dinosaurs. Now, the thing that I found interesting with this one is Stegosaurus, we, didn't, we never found out what Stegosaurus's intentions were with the adventurers, but they were not good. Brontosaurus is eating them, which I call it Brontosaurus because that's what it would have been back then. Picking them up and throwing them around, and a couple people it like chops to yeah, death. Yeah, like the guy it pulls from the tree. We end the scene with the sauropod with it going down to him on the ground and behind some bushes, seemingly devouring him or either just mangling him on the ground. But like they really make it seem like it either just hates them and wants to kill them or is trying to eat some of them. Yeah, very violent. Which was one of those, we've known since we've known about sauropods that they were herbivores. Like, Oh, yeah. That's never been in question. So this was purely them just going, and then the cow rips them apart. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to point out that both the stegosaur and the brontosaur have just the, so the, the brontosaurus has this very bendy neck. Yes. And both of them have these very flexible tails. And I noticed it when you're walking, when they're walking past the Stegosaurus and its tail is like... It's almost curving back on itself to make like little loops. Yeah, it's bending like vines. And what's so interesting about that is that would make its tail spikes almost useless. Yep. If your tail is a noodle, and now we know that a lot of these animals had very stiffened tails, especially if they're using them as weaponry. But it's, and that's, that's something that was common with the, the claymation style of these times, having a very flexible tail allowed for more movement and expression in the model. You know, so you see that with basically all claymation dinosaurs. Back oh, that will be time. a recurring theme yep. here, here in this in this and this and for future movies. It's finally then that they actually get an interaction with Kong. Now you, you see King Kong King Kong steal and the damsel in distress. And Darrow, played by Fay Ray, famously. Oh, yes, absolutely. And he's, you know, very much just a very big gorilla. But for this movie, walks straight upright. Uh, like, does not walk around like an actual ape. Straight up and down, as if a man in the suit, but actually a claymation model. Yeah, a really well-done claymation model. Oh, it is. Very expressive. There's, and they make active efforts which i appreciate to show that kong is intelligent 
Yeah, he does very ape-like things. He's playing with stuff. He's he's curious. He's very expressive. His facial expressions are are very diverse. You see him investigate things. There's a whole scene where he attacks all the people while they're trying to cross a canyon on a log, and one of them hides in the cave on the edge of the canyon. And you they show Kong trying to peek over, and as soon as the guy pokes out a little bit, he tries to reach for him. And when he misses, yep. he waits. He waits a little bit until the guy pokes his head back out. And like very inquisitive. You get to see a lot of it when he pro wrestle fights the next creature which is <laughs> the t-rex a big theropod of some sort right almost certainly tyrannosaurus intended mm-hmm. now this is i mean folks before godzilla took on king Ghidorah, yep. and before the jaegers took on their kaiju this is like the original giant monster fight. This was the big one. Now, someone out there is going, now, hang on a second. Tyrannosaurus fought a sauropod in the Lost World. Okay, sure. But this one had King Kong in it. Yeah. This was like, the this this was the, the big, the big monster fight of the era. T-Rex finding a sauropod is a dinosaur fight. T-Rex finding a 25-foot tall gorilla is a monster fight. <laughs> And during this fight, they show some interesting things. Uh, Now, first, just to give you a rundown of the supposed T-Rex, it does have three fingers. It does stand upright. And the three fingers was a thing that showed up, I believe, in part because early on we didn't have T-Rex's arms. Yeah. So other large theropods had three fingers, and so sometimes it was reconstructed that way as sort of a best guess. Yeah. And so, once again, we're not trying to nitpick oh you got this wrong you got that we're saying yes these things you will notice are wrong but they were also of the time oh yeah we're we're more interested in why they're wrong exactly much more fascinating question the fight between kong and the t-rex it is literally just a t-rex shows up at one point and then they must fight yes let them fight as you do when you are large animals and in a room together (laughs) Uh, (laughs) of course well, because they're all, again, they're all monsters. They're all, we made eye contact, and by Pokemon rules, we must now do battle. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't run from this battle. It's, no. it's, it's, uh, you're stuck in it. And I love the way they show the two fighting. Because, like, the, the T-Rex is very much fighting like a, a T-Rex. I mean, it, it's it's focusing with its jaws. It's They have it very much, like, rearing back kind of snake-like but also bird-like in a way where it's like reaching out and snapping its jaws and big yeah yeah you know bobbing bites there's also a moment where it kicks kong off of its when kong has it pinned uses its big leg to just launch kong across the screen and i love i like that they were using the strengths of a t-rex for its fight whilst kong is a pro wrestler he's putting the t-rex in chokeholds he's grabbing around from behind it to try to get a hold of like they make kong a very intelligent fighter which i thought was very cool now that is not how apes actually fight just so everyone knows apes just punch and bite like they just beat on you with closed fists and bite and tear stuff off uh so they're much more just manic attacks but kong they show as a a a practiced fighter which aids to his intelligence 
Yeah, I found it interesting because they describe Kong as neither beast nor man, which is a really interesting way to describe. And, and it kind of, and now this may not be intentional, but it does kind of address some of the ways in which he's not just a gorilla. It's definitely, and that was something I was, I also uh, wanted to mention is the way they show Kong's intelligence. And this is by no means something that way back in 1930s, they just got wrong. Movies do this still today to show that Kong is a smarter than your average animal was to make them do human things. Yes. Kong walks like a human. He investigates things very much like a, he has ape expressions. They still make him recognizable as a gorilla. You know, he's not his posture and his, his body language isn't quite human, but the way he does stuff is very, very human. Yes. And there's also probably something and I don't know a ton about this, but I found that his expressions and the way that they made his face look were also kind of reminiscent of old blackface yeah, yeah. Depictions? No, absolutely. Which there's probably a whole discussion to be had uh, along that line. It's one of those where, honestly, I'd be surprised if there wasn't validity to that, considering the time this was made in. Like, yeah. Eh, but it, eh. it does, con- you know, it does add to that notion that they were adding some combination. They were aiming for some sort of combination of ways they depict people and ways they depict animals, ways they to depict a gorilla. Also, for early movie special effects, Kong, Kong is awesome. Oh, he's a, he's super well done. When you see all of Kong, he's claymation. When you see a zoom in on Kong's face, it's a robot face. And when he picks up a person, it's either a little claymation person in his little claymation hand, or it's a giant gorilla hand that comes in and actually grabs people. Like, for 1930s, it's impressive. Very impressive. It's it and it it's not even like, you know, like the robots aren't even like like it looks smooth and it it's recognizably old, but it looks good, which is part of what like they put a lot of attention into making Kong a true character, which I thought was very interesting. Another little note about the Tyrannosaurus that I wanted to make is Kong. So Kong famously defeats the Tyrannosaurus by crushing its jaw. Yeah, forcing the jaws open and then like smushing the skull. And boy, what an interesting thing for something to force open a Tyrannosaurus jaws. Yes. That was really, I. it's like trying to hold open the jaws of a crocodile. Yep. That's, I don't have anything in particular to say. Again, I don't think that it's like a negative slight toward the movie or anything. It's just really interesting that I'm not sure even a giant gorilla would have had much success trying to hold open T-Rex's jaws. Yeah, and it's one of those, I don't know if this much thought was put into it, but it definitely gives that feeling of like, no one could bust through this wall, enters Superman through that wall. Right, Where it's like, if T-Rex is famous for anything, it's its bite King Kong doesn't care. King Kong is King Kong. And like it had kind of that superhero (laughs) feeling of even he can overcome this jaw. And they even have they have this beautiful moment. I I don't know why I love it so much. But after he kills the T-Rex and like he opens the mouth and then just like smushes the snout down, just crushes the skull. It's really brutal. So the jaw is kind of now hanging limply. And then he he investigates the dead T-Rex by opening and closing the jaw in his hand. Yeah, he, he plays with he it. He plays with it a little bit. Very much like 
you know, is it dead? Are you, are you, this is dead? This is how, like, it's very curious. It's very chimp. It's very reminiscent of chimps. It, it looks like, and it, and I'm sure that was an inspiration. Absolutely. It's a cool moment. Fast forward in the movie a bit. We get to some other uh, creatures. One that I just want to mention is when they're in the canyon, when the guy's sitting on the wall, something climbs up one of the vines toward him. Yeah, it looks like a big lizard. It's like a lizard mermaid because it. Di- I didn't see any back feet. So it's just got like two <laughs> arms and this horned toothy head and then an end to it. I thought it looked kind of like an iguana. Yeah. Like a big... And it, it, it very much follows another old movie trope of just a big version yep. of a modern... Because it looks like a big weird lizard. Yeah, it's just some big canyon lizard thing. Yep. not a, Doesn't seem to be a particular prehistoric animal. Just how to make it prehistoric? Big lizard. Now, we, after Kong's triumph with the T-Rex, it return, he returns to his cave with his... Oh, and the T-Rex has that super snaky tail. I always remember the super snaky tail. And speaking of snaky tails, when Kong gets back to his cave, there is a pond, and in that pond, there is a plesiosaur. Yes. And it goes after Andero, but Kong stops it, and it wraps its long, sinewy body around him like a boa constrictor. Yeah, very slithery and snaky, which is a real interesting interpretation of plesiosaurs. The first time I saw the movie, I thought it was supposed to be a giant cave snake. Same. And then I watched it again and saw that there are little flippers. Little tiny flippers. Flopping around, and it does have a slightly thicker middle of the body. But yeah, it, it's the tail's wrapping around his throat, and the neck is wrapping around limbs, and... It made me think back to old artist drawings of plesiosaurs like coming out of the waves and their necks would be looping and loping and spiraling. Yeah, all of these animals, there's this trend in old depictions of prehistoric creatures where they're all bendy and... and Serpentine. And, and serp- very serpentine. Very serpent. Like kind of, to me, it goes back to like the sea serpent ancient monsters concepts that we had of like... Almost most, a lot of our big monsters were always given traits of serpents because that was, that was a go-to for mm, bad stuff. And of course, the plesiosaur is monstery in the same way. It attacks a thing. It's going after a creature it obviously can't defeat. Well, and it's like, it goes after, you know, because it looks like it's going after her at first. Which, okay, I can buy that. And then sure. Kong shows up and instead of just going, well, forget that, it goes, no, I can take you. I I could bring it on. What are you, some kind of wise guy? (laughs) What are you looking at? (laughs) And then Kong just beats him like a rug. (laughs) Like literally just slaps him. So they give Kong that super strength as well where he's doing stuff that's just, he's lifting things his own size. And then we finally end with our last critter as a pterodactyl comes to try to swoop her off the cliff grabbing at her with its talons with its feet like they didn't nope so just in case anyone has not listened to any other time we've mentioned pterosaurs (laughs) pterosaurs had walking feet their feet were like lizard feet or bear feet or human feet walking like all like all elementary schoolers should have when visiting places (laughs) (laughs) we had to use our walking feet it had flat it was they were flat-footed their feet were made for for move walking Think duck or penguin, not eagle. They didn't have graspy talon feet. 
So every movie you've ever seen that shows them with graspy feet, which is every movie that has ever had a pterosaur in it. Even ones that show the foot correctly will still have them just like flat duck footed (laughs) wrapping around something and go away with it. Interesting note, Kong kills the pterosaur by opening up its jaw too. So evidently that's just Kong's go-to finishing move. That's his, yeah, that, that's his ultimate finisher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, use that's... your, you, you've charged up your special. Finish him. The pterosaur <laughs> also had very stiff wings. It flapped kind of like a hummingbird, which may just be a technological. A limit of claimation. Limitation, yeah. yeah. So that's that's the extent of the critters we see. And that that's the the focus of this episode because we don't actually have any science scientists in this movie. No, there there's like they wrangle a wild animal. We have adventurers, yes, but we do have the general science of you know. There's not anything that they discuss other than the fact that they recognize these are dinosaurs. Don't seem to be too shocked by that. And they never give a reason for why they're there, which I always found interesting. This the, the island's described as like this island lost the time. Kong rules over it. There is a people there, and I thought this was interesting because this has a very Dungeons and Dragons feel to it. The people have been there so long that they have lost memory of who built the original wall. Now I want to be more specific here. Denim, the way he phrases it is is interesting. He says the natives have slipped back. Yes, that is what they he says. They have slipped back and forgotten the civilization. So it's this, which is also very D&D. Mm-hmm. It's this notion that there once was a great civilization. And again, it's sort that of... could build giant walls and make Valerian steel and all that good stuff. <laughs> and it's sort of reinforcing this primitive aspect Yes. Of these people, which is, again, super racist. Oh, yes. But they're they're trying to evoke this prehistoric feel that these it's not just that these natives are simple. It's that they have reverted. They've devolved into this primitive state. The entire island is primitive and barbaric. And that was very much how we treated uh, maps and stories of Africa. It's it's a very similar mentality, uh, but that that's something that's interesting. Is in a lot of the other old stories of you know Lost World and things like that, there was some explanation for. But how have they survived? Here it was just oh look here they are. It's a Lost World trope, and I actually I I love this that this is so common that the Lost World the movie 1925 which was based on the book is about now there it's a plateau in south america but it is a a land where time stood still and then king kong does it again but it's an island and then that trope of a an isolated area where time stood still has shown up over and over and over the savage lands the savage lands in marvel there's a movie i can't remember the names of these movies i've seen it a bunch of times where it's islands I've seen at least one time where it's an isolated rainforest in the middle of Antarctica. Yep, it's uh, under the ice. There is well, the Savage Land. It's under the ice. There was a movie from like the fifties where it's just a warm spot in Antarctica. There's at least one movie where it's another planet where time stood still. Jurassic Park harkens to this by it's an island full of prehistoric creatures. It's just this this fascinating repeated trope. 
which which brings us very nicely into the impact of this film. This was not the first movie to bring up a lot of these concepts, but it's very much one of the ones arguably equal to the original Lost World that solidified these concepts. Oh yeah, this was a much bigger movie than the original Lost World. The this has the legacy of this movie. I mean, had have you heard of King Kong? Of course you have. It's one of the original giant monster movies, arguably the first, depending on what you want to count. But this is, when you look up lists of giant monster movies, this one's at the top for first. It also uh, established one of the other things that we'll see as a trend throughout this series is that Kong is worshipped. Yes, he is. Is worshipped by the people there as a deity. And they, they first meet the people there on the island when they're getting ready to sacrifice one of the, the women of the tribe to be the Bride of Kong, the actual term they use. In a ritual. In a ritual. You know, like those primitive tribes do. Yeah. But, like, that's that's a concept there. And that's something that you'll see returns through these movies. And I like that they throw that in because we have done stuff like that. When cultures that share their habitat with big imposing predators have almost always worked them into their mythology. You know, many tribes that uh, butt up against rivers well known for crocodiles have crocodiles in their mythos. The Egyptians, you know, being probably the most famous of them, giving a crocodile head to one of their gods. And like you have tigers worked into chinese stories and mythologies and like i like that they acknowledged if there was something like this any people around it would absolutely bow down to it oh well there there would be a, it would be incorporated into the culture because yeah, something that ridiculous must be mythical and i i thought that was even though the way it's portrayed is very archaic and backwards and bad but the concept is actually very realistic like yeah absolutely if king kong were a thing and we and we weren't the global internet using community that we are now yeah we absolutely would have you know and if you don't do this king kong will come and be get you because you were bad <laughs> okay, he'll he'll bring you coal yeah like absolutely he'd be in our mythos <laughs> i like the scientific note of the lost world idea and this i mean we might as well talk about it now because it's going to come up again and again but the notion of a land where time stood still is not very scientific. No. Not really. You're not going to find dinosaurs living on an island. And the notion of a land that has reverted is even less scientific, because that's not how it works. Right up there with the, the devolution rays that cartoons always yes. have at some point. <laughs> but the idea of an island ecosystem where you have endemic species that either have evolved there uniquely, which Kong maybe is, more on that certainly later, <laughs> or you have species that have remained there even though they've disappeared everywhere else, that's legit. Like yeah. that's We talked about this in episode four about island evolution. Islands tend to be places that can act as cauldrons of new evolutionary trends, or what we call refugia, a refugium for species that haven't managed to hold on anywhere else. But here are the conditions and there's no threats, there's no predators to get rid of them. 
So you can act, you can indeed get weird mixtures of animals on islands. A, a perfect example that documentaries will almost always point to this way, it would be the Komodo dragon on the islands it occupies is one of those, those used to be more like lizards of that, that size used to be more common and, and spread across that area and now are isolated here and are very much a, a, a holdover from a time past in in a way that, yeah, that's kind of what is being suggested here. It's just on a way more extreme level. Right. And I don't think they would have understood it quite that, that way back in the 1930s. Certainly I don't think the filmmakers did, but I assume that some knowledge of, Oh, islands have weird stuff on them. Yes. People always talk about traveling to islands and seeing weird peoples and weird animals and weird stuff. Like, yeah, there is a natural, biological, evolutionary reason for that, which is pretty cool that it's it's ingrained into our, our film culture. So at this point, as we did last time, we like to end off our Silver Screen Science episodes with just a couple of little mini rants. Because as we said, we're not going to nitpick the whole time, but but we like doing it. It's still, it is fun. It, it is fun. So, David, do you have a mini rant for King Kong? I do have a little mini rant. A little a little thing that doesn't matter that bugs me. <laughs> so, they're on the way to the island. And apparently what happened is Denim, like, gave the skipper on the boat coordinates and said, I'll, I'll tell you more when we get out there. And the skipper says, well, we're out here. What do you, what do we reach the coordinates? You said, what do you, where do we go from here? And he gives, he shows him the map of the island that has no landmarks on it. No. The map, there's no, there's no compass on it. There's <laughs> no, it's just a picture of an island, which is not at all useful. And the skipper says, we're way out of any waters I know. I know the East Indies like I do my own hand. I've never been here. And then Denham says, we're going to go Southwest. And the skipper says, Southwest, there's nothing, nothing for thousands of miles. And Denham says, this island's not on any chart. The wall was built so long ago that the people who live there have slipped back. And then they get to the island and they interact with the <laughs> yeah. name. See, now I you know, know where yep, I'm going. I know where you're going. The skipper speaks their language fluently. Yeah. How? Well, Why? It's because he took island language back in college. <laughs> all, all islanders. <laughs> they have apparently been isolated on this island for so long that people don't know they exist. The island's not on any chart. It's thousands of miles <laughs> separated from anything else. He says, I've never been to these waters before. Boom, knows the language. He's like Cypher. Yes. <laughs> automatically, he's got it. Also, the language, listening to... So, if you watch Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, and you see these examples of fictional languages that have a lot of thought was put into them. Like, there's actually a grammar put into them, and there is an alphabet, obviously, created for them. Now, I don't know what this language was supposed to be. I don't know if it's based <laughs> off of a real... Like, I, don't, I don't know the story there, but it sounds... every Even the natives speaking the language... Everyone in the movie speaks the language. The skipper and the natives speak it exactly the same way, and they all sound like Americans imitating a foreign language. Yeah. Because they're only using... Here's a little linguistics. They're only using American English phonemes... 
Like, it's all American English sounds, but in an order that doesn't mean anything in American English. So it sounds like when you're in class in high school and your your classmates are trying to speak French, but they don't have any of the French cadence. So they're just saying, they're just pronouncing the words like you would. And they're like, just Swiss un peu fame. Like, okay, but that's not... You just sound like a person who doesn't know how you how to speak this language, <laughs> and even the natives sound that way, and it's hilarious. It's it's such a silly moment, uh, and especially because Carl's standing behind him, going, "Well, tell him this," and the captain doesn't ever go like, "Well, there's not really a translate." He just goes, "Okay," and ba da ba da ba 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 ba, which is how away. they're yeah. Oh, that's exactly and then, how it and then the chief says something, and the skipper goes. Here's exactly what he just said. I'm like, how are you doing that? <laughs> yes. The skipper's a magical man. He, yeah, no, he is. He is a. <laughs> the skipper has a story that would have been more interesting than the one about King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a there's another a, com- a companion piece to this movie. While the other men are running around, going after uh, fighting dinosaurs and stuff, the skipper's just sitting with the tribe, telling his life story. Yes. Yes. About how he was there at the beginning of human society. <laughs> There's a little native boy sitting there, and the skipper's telling him this story. And the little boy's like, you're telling it wrong. Anyway. <laughs> What's your mini rant, Will? Mine mine does not have to do with much the logic, but just the the weird the weirdness of the main character. Carl Denham is a, a movie director that is just a jerk and the movie seems okay with that the entire time <laughs> like at no point does everyone go geez that denim fella he just comes and he goes you shoot your own movie yeah my last cameraman dodged out of the way of a charging rhino and missed the shot since then i don't mess around with cameraman and no one's like wow what a psycho they're just like oh that denim and the movie oh, movie producers ends after he has unleashed kong upon new york he brought him back it gets out. He Kong gets away from his chains, kills a bunch of people. Like this does not soft shoot. Kong goes up to windows, pulls people out of the window, bites them, and then throws them off a third story. Oh yeah! Like he's just murdering people. He tosses one lady that was just sleeping in her bed, pulls her out, and goes, "You're not the lady I want." Chucks her over his shoulder, <laughs> and then it zooms in on her as she falls to the street. And then Kong falls off the Empire State Building. Kong dies at the end of the movie. And spoilers. When on the street and the police are like, everybody back, he comes up and they go, Hey, watch it, bunny goes, I'm Carl Denham. They go, Oh yes, right here. And like <laughs> oh, 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 Mr. Di didn't realize I apologize. And when he says the it wasn't the planes, twas beauty killed the beast, the police officer are like, Oh. No one's like, by the way, you're under arrest. <laughs> he blame yeah. He blames the woman. Yeah. For killing the uh It's just it uh, like at not no a great, point not a great guy. Does the movie and the movie just is like, oh, what a character! And I just at no point does he get any comeuppance. <laughs> it you, I fully expect that after that movie ended, he went, well, who's up for a drink? I could use one, and then he walks away. <laughs> he goes, he goes. So there's this island I heard about. Yes, <laughs> who's up for an adventure? So now that's that's our discussion of the, the science or the the effects on science and on our perception of these concepts if you would be curious to know just our personal thoughts or our more personal thoughts 
we will be putting a discussion on Patreon just for our patrons where we just kind of talk about the movie as a movie. Yeah, what we think of it as movie people. We like movies. Where It's where we pretend to be movie critics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like so we you, did with the last Silver Screen Science. Absolutely. Sciences. Same way we did there. So if you'd like to listen to that, patrons, check it out there. If you aren't a patron and you'd like to hear it, think about signing up. And thanks for listening to episode one. Check in next Saturday for episode two. Where we will discuss, that since this time we discussed the original of our first star monster of the series, next time we discuss the first appearance of our second star kaiju. I'm so excited. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.